Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome to White Wine Question Time, something from the cellar, where this week, because Wimbledon's in full swing, we thought we'd bring up from the White Wine Question Time cellar a brilliant episode that celebrates a woman that sits at the heart of the tennis world and has done, well, for decades now. Hers is a truly remarkable tennis tale. Her two boys, her sons, who grew up in the small town of Dunblane in Perthshire, went on to achieve Grand Slam glory. Her youngest son, Sir Andy Murray, has claimed Olympic, US Open and Wimbledon titles and has been ranked number one in the world. Meanwhile, Jamie, her eldest child, has won three Grand Slam mixed double titles and two Grand Slam men's double titles. As a former player herself, Judy Murray's accomplishments are not limited to her children's successes. Oh no. She won an impressive 64 Scottish girls and women's titles, as well as the British Hard Court Doubles Championships back in 1981. And in that same year, she proudly represented Great Britain at the World Student Games. Judy's journey in tennis started as a volunteer coach at a local club where she experienced every aspect of the game. From teaching beginners to the thrilling moments of watching her own children in the Wimbledon finals. She's truly done it all, as you're about to hear. She served as the national coach of Scotland for a decade, uh, making history as the first woman to receive the Lawn Tennis Association's Performance Coach Award. Even after all these years in tennis, her passion for the game is unending and enduring. She's created and developed numerous initiatives to promote the game, particularly encouraging more girls to play, supporting female coaches and advocating for the women's game. But that's not all. During our conversation, we also delve into the intriguing tale of her brilliant friendship with the woman who started out as a childhood hero, Billie Jean King. So whatever you're doing, sit back, kick back and enjoy an incredible story. It's Judy Murray. I have um, I've just finished episode two of uh, Driving Force. Yeah. I mean, it's amazing the number of brilliant untold stories there are when it comes to female sports women and how good they've had to be to even get to where they are now, which is nowhere near, you could say, or you would say, to, to as, as close to their male counterparts. Yeah, we've started a, a long way back. Um, you know, sport, like most of the world, was... A, a male-dominated domain, and we were very late to the party. But we're we're starting to make inroads, and certainly the last ten years or so, I think we've we've made huge strides forward. But we still have to keep our foot on the gas, and we still have to keep going. And visibility is absolutely key. So series like the Driving Force, which takes eleven of our most successful sportswomen in Britain and 
tells the backstory of where they started and all the who's and the what's that inspired and helped and drove them to get to the top of what they did. Because so often we're guilty of seeing the end result or the end performance and never giving a minute's thought to what went into getting to that stage. So I think that by raising uh, the awareness of the great things that all these female uh, sportswomen achieved, we will also raise a lot of talking points around the issues and challenges that still exist for women in sport. And by raising talking points, hopefully we will get some action uh, and create change for the next generation. Was the show your idea? It feels to me like it was very much your idea, that you're the driving force behind driving force. <laughs> I wish I could say it was all my idea, but actually it was the the idea of um, TV producer called Rosemary Reed, who is one of very few female TV producers in, in the UK. And she has um, a company called Power of Women TV, and she has for a number of years created in conversations with and documentaries around mainly in America, business women, humanitarians, entertainment industry, but she'd never been into sport before. And she contacted me through a mutual acquaintance to ask if I would be interested in doing something with her in sports. So of course I had to stop myself from biting her hand off because she was speaking my language. <laughs> and, uh, and I said, yeah, I'd absolutely love to because it's, you know, I've, I've been such a big supporter of women in sport and sports women for a long time. And I know how, how much harder it is to make things happen on the women's side of the game in sport uh, than it is on, on the men's having worked on both sides. Um, so this was a massive opportunity to really create some awareness around just the incredible things that they've done but also on how hard it is in so many ways to actually get to the top because the world the sporting world is still skewed towards men and a lot of that is because you know um the key decision makers in sport tend to still be predominantly men and men see the world with men's eyes and they hear it with men's ears so uh Obviously, they think of the men's side of things first, whereas the women, uh, if we don't have a voice at the top table, we so often get uh, get left behind or we're playing second fiddle. So it's important that we have female voices at the top. You identify as well, there are so many nuances between a male and female sports uh, star and the needs and the responses as well uh, between the genders. Would you be able to kind of walk me through the ones that are the most, you know, that stand out most glaringly to you? Well, I think um, even if you look at what's happened in the last few weeks, um, you know, men's rugby, the Six Nations rugby goes ahead and the women's is dropped. Um, the boys training academies with the English um, Premier League clubs are allowed to go ahead, but the women's or the girls are all stopped. It's like, it's like things like this. It's like regularly it happens that the, it's almost like the women doesn't really matter you know and, and leave them to say let's make sure the men get what you know what they want and when you think about you know the challenge that we have with obesity in the country the challenges that COVID has brought with physical and mental health the fact that we are a 50 50 population the fact that you know 86 percent of um, consumer buying is actually done by women you know you would think that brands would be interested more on the women's side of, of 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 sport than they currently are, but it is um it's so much about visibility and it's so much you know of course like I said we are catching up, but we still have a long way to go and we still have to keep our foot on the on the gas and COVID at the moment has stalled a lot of things just when we were getting some momentum and that's why I think you know the the driving force will help us to talk about that again but we do need women to use their voices at, but we also need male advocacy we, we need men at the yeah. top of the field to understand the importance of empowering women within sport not just playing not just coaching but administrating uh, officials decision makers journalists broadcasters we need a more even spread if we are going to encourage more women to get out and get active and the bigger the numbers of course the more chance you have of, of, of those of people climbing the ladder Jamie Redknapp, you talk about the importance of male voices coming to this conversation. He touches upon the fact that in his life, he absolutely believes that he will one day see a women, a female manager lead a Premier League team. Uh, I, I, that actually made me kind of stop and go, yeah, I've never even considered 
could that or would that happen? I mean, that's really important, isn't it? But my goodness, can you imagine how hard it's going to be to be the first woman to walk that path? <laughs> yeah, I mean, that would that will be that will happen one day, and and that will be a great thing to see. But I think it's um, you know, some years ago now, Andy took on a female coach, Amelie Moresmo, um, back in I think 2014, 2015. And she had been a, a former world number one, a Grand Slam champion. And for him, it was all about her skill set, a personality fit, because obviously you're pretty much with each other 40 weeks or so of the year. Um, and, and she was absolutely right for him at that time of his development. And he didn't think about gender at all. It was about what she could do. Mm. Um, but it, what it did was it raised an incredible amount of skepticism and criticism and did it yeah even nasty jibes you know from some of the other male players you know saying oh is this a joke what are you going to announce tomorrow that you're working with a dog yeah I mean no. like things like that it's from other male players yeah not retired actually in the game <laughs> yes in the game sadly oh my god it, it is it's things like that but we have to be given the chance um to climb the ladder you know so it's all about creating yeah. opportunity and you know, again, I come back to this thing about you need at the very top of sport to make real big change. It's the people at the top that need to be driving it. And so often the people at the top are men and we need to find a way to get to the top. Um, and often that pathway isn't there or the encouragement isn't there. So you may well be good enough, um, but you don't get the chance. And one of the things that I am so often saying is that you know, for us to get the chance at the top jobs in anything, we have to be absolutely excellent. Whereas there are many men in top jobs who are far from excellent. And it's, it's you know, being in the minority is, it's tough. Doesn't matter what minority you're in, you're always having to fight to justify yourself. And as a woman, I have often found that the women who do um, stand up for themselves and use their voices and are not afraid to keep coming back and keep, you know, okay, no, 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 but you keep coming, you keep coming. But you get branded as emotional, irrational, difficult, demanding, and you're not. You're standing up for what you believe in. That, that's, that's often been attributed. Uh, all of those, those phrases I've, I've read connected to you, and it feels massively unfair. Um, you know, when you're described as, you know, standing on the sidelines with your, with your fists bunched well who wouldn't while they're watching their children playing in really any game actually that's me on a Sunday morning by the way uh, and I'm no different but they would never write that about a father in that position it the narrative when I started to look at it through the points that you so eloquently raise I see it I see how you've been framed in a completely different way to maybe um a manager a coach uh, a, a male alternative um, in your position? Yeah, very, very much so. Um, I think um, when Andy got to, well, when he played in Wimbledon the first time in 2005, as a, he just turned 18 and um, there were no expectations whatsoever. He was, I don't know, ranked about 350 in the world. He was in on a wild card and he managed to make it to the third round. He found himself on the center court. He was playing the world number four on middle Saturday, the busiest day of the championships. And, you know, there was royalty in the box. There was Sean Connery in the box. And I was sitting in the player box, just trying to pinch myself, believing this would happen and being so excited for him. And obviously getting very pumped up. I have always loved sport and <clears throat> sport is competitive and I am competitive. I enjoy being competitive. But, you know, I found myself having to almost apologize for being competitive. And I went, you know, and what's wrong with being ambitious? Why shouldn't we be ambitious within no. sport? I found myself at that first Wimbledon really being picked out I think partly because we were all new, the, the family, and at something like Wimbledon where there are no ad breaks and the commentators and the cameramen look for somewhere to go and they find you in the player box in a way that if my kids had played cricket or rugby or football, they would never have found me. I'd be lost in the sea of all the other spectators and nobody would ever have seen me. And what I discovered was that, you know, the papers and also sometimes the TV cameras, the pictures that they're showing on the highlights reels are always me pumping my fist or baring my teeth. And they made me look aggressive and uber competitive. Um, and uh, from that moment, I was the, poofy, the, the pushy mom. I was, you know, I was, I was overbearing. I was 
too competitive. Whereas, you know, I always reckoned if I had been a dad, I wouldn't have been picked out the same way. I would probably have been applauded for being the competitive dad. Look at that, you know, again, that is acceptable in male in male only sports like football, like rugby, you know, you get really into it. Um, so that was a rude awakening for me. And it was a really tough thing to suddenly find yourself on front and back pages of newspapers and be part of somebody's column tearing you apart for the way you acted or the way you looked or whatever, having never been prepared for that because nothing, nobody prepares you for suddenly being thrown into the public eye and how to deal with it. And often those those pieces were written by other women, which is hugely disappointing. Yeah, I think um, I used to read everything and I, I, my common sense was telling me not to bother that, you know, if it's somebody who doesn't know you, who you've never spoken to, why would you even think about ex- reading their criticism of you? But it was all new to me. And I realized that actually, if Andy and Jamie were going to continue on to be successful within tennis, the media and knowing about the media and how to handle the media is part and parcel of it. And they were very young at the time. So I you know, went off and did a, a little bespoke um, three-day PR course to try yeah. to... Yeah, I did, because I thought, well, nobody's going to teach me. Nobody's. I don't have anybody to help me. I, I need to know how to manage it a bit better, and I need to be able to help the boys and protect the boys, because certainly Andy at that time was getting pulled apart, you know, for whether it was uh, bad language or he never smiles or he's, why doesn't it get his hair cut or his shorts are too big or it was, or he's got a boring voice. It was just like constant. And that as a, as a parent, that's a really tough thing. That is. And, and really funny how they all stopped saying those sort of things once he started uh, building his silverware collection. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. But what I got, when the first, the first show, in the series, which is available now on for, on Sky, and uh, is really good. Uh, please do go out of your way to watch it, and and sit down with your sons and show that show it to your sons and your daughters. Please, not just your daughters. Show it to your sons too. I'm going to show it to my son, um, who's sports mad, by the way. But what saddened me was as this narrative built, I saw you retreat. So you could see that they were cutting away to you because there were no ad breaks. Um, and you felt overtly visible. So you retreated to the point that when Andy won, which which major tro- which maybe major championship was it that he had to climb through the crowd to find you at the back in the stalls? He had to come and seek you out because that's where you'd put yourself. And when I saw that, I felt very angry for you, actually. You shouldn't be putting yourself in the back of the room when you are you you'd earn your right to watch your son at the front of the house. Yeah, I think that that was at Wimbledon in 2013. And the the player box at Wimbledon, um, it's the only Grand Slam, it's the only major tennis event where both sets of players, their families and their teams were in the same player box. So it's a 36-seat player box. Each player gets 18 seats each. Now, I had sat in that player box a number of times over the years including 2012 Wimbledon final where Andy played Federer. And there is no more uncomfortable place to be than sitting somewhere where half of the box is shouting for the other person or as you perceive it, shouting against your child. It is absolutely, it's horrendous. It's the only, I can't imagine it happening in any other sport that they would mix the supporters up. Anyway, having having endured it the year before and made me feel like I couldn't do what I wanted, you know, what I wanted to do um, because we were in such close proximity to the opposition. I thought I'm going to take myself out of the player box. And I went several rows back and I sat on an end because I don't like sitting beside anybody. So if I sit on an end, I only have to sit beside one person. I don't speak to anybody. (laughs) Nobody speaks to me because they know I don't want to talk and don't don't uh, eat crisps, don't chew, don't touch, don't comment. (laughs) Total focus. (laughs) I get it. Quite far back. And and, and as you say, you know, Andy started to climb up through the crowd, which is quite a a hairy thing to do. You know, it's like deep and lots of people. And and he climbed up and of course, everybody was in the front bit of the, of the player box. And I was, I was quite far back. Um, and I, I really did. I just thought I can't go down because I'll just get criticised again for being the 
pushy, overbearing mother. Look at her trying to push herself in. Why doesn't she leave him alone? He's 20, whatever he is now. And it was all those years of being cast as that made me feel like I couldn't do it. And I didn't. And it was when Andy started to go back down again and um, and the crowd started to shout at him, what about your mom? And uh, and he came back up again and, and I felt like I could go down because the crowd were telling me to go down. But that it, it's, an in, it's an interesting one because when they took me back for the series, when they took me back to the player box and I was explaining all that, I realized then, you know, that was ridiculous that I felt like that. But that was that was how it was. And I think, you know, I think the media, you know, people have to <laughs> realize what they're doing when they create these opinion pieces or these pictures of people that are actually so far removed from what they really are. Because, you know, in an individual sport like tennis, the onus is very much on the parent to make everything happen. You know, if my kids had gone into a team sport, the club would have been responsible for kit and training and fixtures and travel and all the rest of it. But in an, in an individual sport, the parent has to make the whole thing happen. And when they get to an excellent level like that, you're responsible for your own business. So if when they're young and they needed to concentrate on what they were doing on the court and in the gym, I was taking care of all the logistics and the personnel and the budgets and the sponsors and making everything happen in, in those very early days. But nobody had any understanding of that. And that's another reason why the telling of the backstories is so important for people to understand it, but also for other parents watching or other coaches watching who have a special talent on their hands. There's so many things you need to know that nobody tells you about, nobody prepares you for. And it's the same the whole way through the driving force. Lots of things that the girls weren't prepared for. They were prepared to perform on the pitch or the, the track, but not for what s suddenly happened with you become successful, you become famous, you're in the public eye. How do you deal with that? The, the loss of privacy, et cetera, et cetera. I wanted to pick up on something uh, that you say a lot, as do all of the other female athletes that you feature in Driving Force. And that is the phrase, if you can see it, you can be it. The importance of role models, they must be visible. It's hugely uh, important when it comes to inspiring the next generation. Um, so I wanted to know for you, who were your role models and game changers who helped to create a path for you to walk? And subsequently, what doors do you think you've helped to open for other women in sport? That's a good, it's a good question. <clears throat> when, I was, when, when I was young and uh, an aspiring young Scottish tennis player, um, you know, there wasn't tennis on the TV apart from Wimbledon. So you got two weeks of black and white TV. And, you know, I love Billie Jean King, Chris Ever, Martina Navratilova, Steffi Graf, a little, a little beyond them. But when I was very small, it was the black and white and it was Billie Jean King was, was the one that, that I enjoyed watching. Um, now I still have to pinch myself a lot that she is a friend of mine, um, that we've worked together um, on her with her Philadelphia Freedoms team last summer in World Team Tennis. I've done a number of panel things and Q&A things with her. And um, I, I still think back to sitting on the sofa watching her black and white with her specs with my mom and just being, oh, she's amazing. You know, and that, anyway, it's just, I would never imagine. I mean, at, at that stage, you were playing, I mean, you were, uh, you were playing then, you won 64 titles in Scotland as, as a youth and senior player. Um, but at that point when Billy was kind of top of her game in black and white TV, where would you have been in terms of your own tennis and, and progression yeah I was probably in my in my early teens and tennis was very much a minority sport in Scotland because back then we had no indoor courts so you played tennis in the summer and you played something else in the winter I, I, I played badminton in the winter but nobody ever aspired to be a great tennis player and therefore nobody really aspired to be a great coach because you just couldn't do it all year round it was just a summer month sport so although I watched her on the tv I would I might have had a dream, but it would have been a pipe dream um, because that's all you would see was just Wimbledon. You wouldn't see, I mean, nowadays you get wall-to-wall -wall tennis yeah. and other sports on the TV. And tennis has been so fortunate because of what Billie Jean King and the 
cohort, the original nine they were called. They were nine tennis players from 50 years ago who broke away from the tennis tour because they were sick of the men getting 90% of the prize money and the women getting 10% and having no say in anything. I mean, to, to the point that Billie Jean King, I mean, she 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 stood her ground and she refused to to take to take the title. And without her putting her, her racket down, so to speak, women wouldn't be where they are right now. Yeah, they were so incredibly brave and um, pioneering back then because, you know, they, they were out, the nine of them, the nine women players, they promoted their own tour. They sold the tickets out in the streets themselves. I mean, it was incredible what they did to, to start it off, but they absolutely stood their ground to say, we're not having this. You know, it's a man's world and we are good enough, and they were, to be watchable. And it's, it's a, I mean, it, it, is, it is one of the many reasons how I, I, I still admire so much Billie Jean because she doesn't just stand up for equality, gender equality in tennis. She stands up for equality and fairness in everything. Now, and, she did, and she's 77 and she's still using her voice and she's still making her presence felt and she still makes a difference. And yeah, she, she's absolutely remarkable um, in that. But but you're right, what, what she and the other women did way back then, 50 years ago, they had a celebration this year to celebrate those 50 years. It created what became the, the Women's Tour, the Women's Tennis Association, mm -hmm. and tennis pretty much a 50-50 sport at the top level in terms of prize money, endorsements, opportunities, sponsors, and visibility. So it's that if you can see it, you can be it because can tennis be it. is a all the time bums are on seats sponsors are there it's way ahead of most of the other sports for women because of what she did I don't think I don't think female football for example could be where it was if somebody like Billy hadn't used her platform and when we talk about platforms now we forget that I mean she really did have a platform back in 1973 90 million people tuned in around the world to watch Billie Jean Kim um, literally wipe the floor with um, former Wimbledon champion, who was something of a chauvinist, uh, Bobby Riggs. And she literally played him off the court and it was dubbed the Battle of the Sexes, which, I mean, that match, that must have that must have meant so much to you and other women in, in sport in terms of showing them that we, well, women, mean business or can mean business. Yeah, I think... Um... Yeah, Bobby Riggs, he was he was quite a loudmouth, um, show-off type of a guy. Uh, so he's the perfect person for her to take down. But, you know, he took a massive risk because she may not have won. And then it would have been an absolute disaster. Um, but, yeah, she's she's done so much to sh sh showcase the the women's side of, of her sport and the importance of giving women an equal opportunity um, to do whatever they want within sport, because it's not just about the top end. It's actually about opportunities to participate, opportunities to compete, opportunities to administer or lead or officiate, um, which is what I was talking about earlier in terms of the female workforce. We need a much bigger female workforce. And um, yeah, she's she has used her voice incredibly successfully. And so yeah, she's definitely is the person I still look to as the inspiration for somebody's got to do it. You know, if we don't make a noise, nobody hears you. As she tells me that all the time. And if they don't give you a seat at the table, bring a folding chair. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. That's great. I mean, at the time, you know, the, the year of the Battle of the Sexes, the year previous to that, that's when she'd really stood her ground alongside those other players. She'd She'd won, was it the US Open? Um, yes, it was the US Open, and um, she'd received fifteen thousand dollars less in prize money than than her than the men, men's champion, and and she said that's it. I'm not playing next year unless the prize money is equal. Now, that must have made her. I mean, could you imagine how? I, I don't even want to say unpopular, just to stand out, and then so much to live up to if she does then go and if she does then go and compete again and doesn't win, and you know she must have been feeling that weight of responsibility for all women in sport at that moment put your money where your mouth is quite literally yeah she's she's incredible I mean she always another one of the things that she says that I use a lot is pressure is a privilege and she absolutely soaked up the pressure and she is the reason why women's tennis is so way ahead of other women's sports in terms of its 
visibility and and the the money that is attached to it. Now you speak so beautifully of her. She has quite a lot of nice things to say about you too, Judy. Um, is this 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 must be kind of almost like a kind of Yelp pinch me moment when you start to hear the women that you've cited as your game changers talking so so glowingly of you. She says um, that you have been a brilliant disruptor in the game, not just of tennis, uh, but you've done so much not just for tennis as a sport, but for women in sport. Coming from her, that does that start to feel slightly like you've taken the baton and, and run with it? <laughs> um, I've certainly taken her lead on, on a lot of things and I've certainly drawn a lot of inspiration from, from her. And um, I think... Uh, if we all do our bit in our part of the world, uh, in whatever it is that we feel strongly about, then we can all change the world for the future or change the female sporting world for, for the future. And, and certainly that's what, what I've tried to do. I mean, there's a, a number of things that I do and they're the things I feel passionately about. So building a bigger, stronger female workforce across Britain um, for tennis coaches, but not just coaches. We want more women uh, you know, running competitions, running fun days, helping out in the clubs. Um, so it's about creating a big army of women who share a passion for our sport, bringing them together and sharing, training, encouraging, supporting, finding outlets to place them into where they can work. That's one part of it. And my other part, of course, is in Scotland, um, where we've had a visibility around tennis through what Jamie and Andy did that we never, ever could have imagined. So really setting up my own foundation to take tennis into mainly rural and disadvantaged areas so that many more kids, teens and adults can have the chance to play because it's always killed me that tennis has this elitist tag that it's just for people with money and it's all about posh clubs. So I teach people how to deliver tennis in whatever space they've got available. I don't care if it's a car park, a school playground, a church hall, I show them how to get others started. We don't need a net. You have barrier tape with a couple of chairs. We can have chalk lines. Um, so that's a huge thing for me. And I get an enormous amount of enjoyment out of that because why shouldn't everybody have the chance to try it? If they can see it on the TV and there's no court anywhere near them, make your own. It's what I used to do with the kids in the garden. You see something on the telly and they go, oh, let's go and try that. And you just make your own. Creativity, outdoor, exercise, all of these things that are so good for us at, within a family. Well, Martina Navratilova, who you cited as one of your heroes, she said of you that you can take young players from zero to 100 with no help whatsoever. And that in her experience, there are very few people who can do that. I mean, as a badge of honour, I really hope you've got that on a T-shirt somewhere, Judy. <laughs> I think I might do that. It was very kind of it. Yeah, I think... Um... So in, in 2008, I think it was, Jamie made the final of the mixed doubles at US Open. And he was playing with Liesl Huber, who's um, a South African turned American, who's a great friend of Martina's. And I found myself watching this final, sitting beside Martina, who again, like Billie Jean, would have been somebody that I'd just watched on the TV. And we sat and watched this whole match and she analyzed everything. She asked me questions about everything. And we became good friends after, like from that point on. Um, and I've, again, I've done a lot of things with her. She knows very well what, what I do. But she also understands, I think, from where we came from, your very small town in the middle of Scotland with no track record of success in tennis or the country didn't. And she knows she knows the path because she came a tough path through the Czech Republic and, and, and ending up in, as an American citizen. A very difficult route that she came through as well. Um, so she, she gets it. She understands how difficult it is to negotiate that journey, you know, for all sorts of reasons, whether that's finance, time sacrifice, understanding expertise, being a woman in a man's world. And um, so I think she knows how tough it is. And I mean, I know how tough it is because I did it, but I'm so willing to share that journey and any advice or tips with anybody who wants to to listen but she 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 knows what I do I do a lot of work with the WTA which is the Women's Tennis Association I'm one of their uh, community ambassadors so they take me to some of their big events overseas and I do all the workforce build or clinics for kids clinics in schools 
when it's for sponsors, if necessary. But I go out into the sticks, I go out into the disadvantaged areas. So we're really spreading the word. But my main thing is if I can teach people how to teach tennis with passion and love and fun, make it doable, make it stimulating, but the fun is the most important thing, then you get if you have more people delivering, you have a lot more people able to play the game. So that's a lot of what I do now. And of course, she, know, she knows that she's come and joined in with one or two of the things that I've done. So yeah, she, she knows the kind of stuff that I do. Just talk me through what it's like to end up becoming friends with the likes of Billie Jean King and Martina Navratilova and Sue Barker, um, who, who must have been idols before they were friends, uh, certainly in the case of Billie and Martina. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, you know, Sue, I've got to know um, really through Andy's and Jamie's successes um, at Wimbledon. And Sue was a big part of Andy's documentary. Um, she's just, I mean, she's just such an easy person to get on with. And she's so brilliant at, at what she does, you know, at, at her broadcasting job. And um yeah, she's she's also a very private person. She's not so involved in tennis out with what she does work wise, and so actually for her to take the time to do that on my part of driving force was was a lovely thing um, for me. And she she came from uh, Torquay um, in you know the far southwest, you know, in a very kind of remote tennessee part of the world but she there were indoor courts at the palace hotel in torquay when she was little you know posh hotel had some courts and there was a coach there called arthur roberts who was an amazing coach and he brought a stable of mainly girls through to the top level of of british tennis and sue obviously internationally and she knows the importance of local coaches who nurture and spot the talent and spend the time because you know devon that's like, it's a bit like Scotland, you know, that the, there isn't anything there, but she she knows because she came from that environment. So she knows the importance of, um, you know, of local coaches um, as as well. So it was, uh, it was great to hear her, her talking about me like that. Loved it. How long did it take for the thrill to wear off when you see your phone go and it says Billie Jean King? <laughs> well, actually, um, I've not, I've obviously not been able to see her this year, but you know, spending um, spending a week or so with her last year, last summer, working with her world team tennis team, and really getting to know her quite well. A lot of lot of dinners out, a lot of um, you know panels and Q and A's and so forth. And she's so amazing to listen to. And I'm sitting there sharing a kind of a sofa with her, and we're chatting about all sorts of things and laughing. And I. I really still, I think it's with her because she's my absolute shero. I still think I'm having dinner with Billie Jean King. I'm doing an event with Billie Jean King. How did this happen? You know, I think it's, I think it's as a woman thing, we, and I I hope I'm good at it as well, is that spotting people who are trying really hard to make a difference and Mm. spending positive change being positive and praising we're often not good at praising each other or building each other up and i think certainly in the sporting world we have got to do that we've all got an experience or an expertise that is valuable to somebody else so if we can each of us where whatever we work out you know if we're the, the club coach or the teacher in the school if we can put an arm around somebody else and nurture them and be at the end of the phone to to get advice we can make the sporting world a better place for many more women Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com work. Shopify.com work. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. 
Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. I remember having conversations with my son very recently my son's 12 and he's football nuts and we go you know every Sunday we, we play in the the 11 aside and there's always girls teams playing and he has never not known that and I had to explain because he said to me mom what position did you play at school and I said no we didn't play football at school he said what nobody and I said no the boys did but we played netball or hockey but why and it baffled him and I loved the fact that that caused him to scratch his head and go, but hang on a sec, because he doesn't see the disparity between gender because that's at his grassroots level, that's not there right now. So you can see that sea of change and the tides washing in and out on that and it making uh, it making a positive change. Yeah, definitely. The, the world is a, it's a different place now. And I love that story that, that you just told because having listened to, you know, Steph Houghton uh, last night and some of the contributors to her story were telling you know, that in their day, girls weren't allowed to play in teams. So it was almost like, well, you can be really, really good and really skillful and everything, but actually there's no girls team. So at 12 or 13, you're in, a, you're in a women's team, if there is one. And then, you know, again, listening to Steph talking about when she was 14 signing for Sunderland, and what did that actually mean? Well, what it meant was we trained on a Friday night, we had a match on a Saturday, we washed our own kit, and we trained at home. We did our own thing during the week because there was no real setup in the same way as it was for the men. And listening to her now at, you know, in her early thirties and talking about being a key part of the Man City and England setup and what is on offer for her at Man City in terms of support setup, it's like it's worlds away, but it, you know, that's been 18 years, but she can look back and she knows what it was like and, she can help to prepare the next generation for don't take it for granted. You know, you've got to work hard because yeah. this one is there. And at some point somebody could take it away from you. I hope they don't. But um, yeah, I think the, the world is a different place, but we have to keep our foot in the gas. And I do believe very strongly in we do need a much bigger, stronger female workforce across sport. I hate the tag of, of, of it, us being kind of labeled as overtly emotional. But you have to acknowledge that we are um, far more emotional, especially because we have monthly cycles. And that has to be acknowledged and not apologised for. Actually, we are different. And, and let's understand those differences and, and work out how everybody can, can work with that. Yeah, I, absolutely. Um, I couldn't agree more with that. And I, I think it is starting to happen, but it's, it's just quite slow. I think there was... Um, the U.S. women's soccer team, when they brought in an expert to help them deal with, um, you know, they've got a raft of 20 or so uh, women trying to prepare for a World Cup. They all have menstrual cycles at completely different times from each other, and that needs to be managed in order to get the best possible performance out of them so that it's not, I've got pain or I'm dizzy or I'm uncoordinated or I'm in a bad mood or whatever. If you understand how to manage it, you can help them to effectively perform through it. Absolutely. And I, and I would hate for anybody to kind of listen in on this and think that in any way you're being anti, anti-man, anti-male. This isn't about that at all. Yeah. Um, and, and again, quite often a conversation like this can get lost um, to that argument, which would be a grave shame in so many ways, because as you touched upon, we kind of we need men to carry the conversation with us yeah, I, I, absolutely. I mean, I, but I think, you know, the way I looked at it was when I was looking at, at tennis, at the tennis workforce within the UK, we're about 17% female and 83% male. So actually, although the women coaches need to 
be educated, informed, supported. We need to help the men to understand how to work more effectively with women and, and girls. So that's another thing that um, that I've been a part and parcel of is how do you adapt your content or adapt your communication when you're dealing with different age ranges of girls and helping them to understand that how you say something to a boy, the boys will just shrug it off and get on with it. Whereas the girls will be like, you know, sh- you know, shrink into themselves. And yeah. It is. It's a raising of, of awareness of the differences. And I believe that that should be a fundamental part of any coaching qualification right at the start is outlining the differences of working with girls and boys. Get it right in there, right at the start of the, of the coaching journey. achieved and changed so much and achievement and change are two very different things and both equally important but I wondered certainly as you sit here now is is there anything that you want less of in your life having spent so long striving for more and for change is there a part of you that's just like oh I just want to rid myself of I don't know what what would you like to kind of have less of in your day-to-day life I hit 60 last year and it was one of those moments where I thought I'm getting into what uh, Jane Fonda calls the the third act. And uh, yeah. and I thought, <laughs> you know, I've been working in tennis all of my adult life and uh, I've worked really hard I'm, because I love what I do and I've never lost my passion for it, which is a great thing. But you definitely do get to a stage where you think, right, I need to pass the baton a little bit here um, to create more time for myself. So I think that that's what I'm, I don't think I'm going to be very good at it um, because I like <laughs> I'm so used to always being busy, but I think that I, I do think that's something that I, I, I want to do. I want to be able to spend more time with my, my family um, and my grandchildren in particular. Um, but I think that for me, the women in sport thing is the thing that I will continue to use my voice and to try to help or persuade or bring a group of younger than me women up to be the next the, the next generation of of spokespeople for for women's sport. Yeah. I think really incredibly important that we pass our experiences on and as we spoke about before it is so important to know that there's somebody on the end of the phone or 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 the end of an email that you can if you need a bit of support you're a bit unsure about something that you can just go can you help me with this um and that you're there just to listen or and and lend support i'd I'd quite like to continue doing that further down the line as a a kind of kind of like an obi-wan kenobi yeah I, I, we, I, I use the expression, um, keep your ladders down so that you can help the next generation up. Um, <laughs> and, I, and I think that's so important because, um, I, I, you know, I'm, I'm not 60, but I certainly have got hit, hit a point in my life where I've, I've, I've figured much the same. It's like I want to I want to use what I've done to help um, others, but I want to do a little bit less, actually, and, and being more present as a parent. Um, and just just addressing that imbalance because you can literally spend your entire life working. Um, so I made decisions like rather than send big long text messages, I'll just send a voice note. You would be amazed at how much time you spent you save. Does that does that resonate with you? Yeah, it definitely does. I think um, lockdown for me the first couple of months, I loved being forced to stop and just chill out and slow down and not have to get on a flight, and not have to pack a suitcase. I loved that. Um, now that we're kind of eight or nine months into it, I'm like, oh, can't wait to get yeah. on the flight again. We want to pack. You don't need to hammer and tongs at everything, and you don't need to try to be all things to all people. It's like there, are, you get to a stage where it's somebody else's turn to have a go, and that's certainly what I'm feeling about on the tennis side. I feel like I've done my bit, and actually, maybe that's the side that can be parked a bit and, I, and I'll stick to trying to support the the women in sport because I feel we've got momentum I feel we need to keep our foot on the gas and I would love to just be there as a uh, a voice at the end of the phone or the end of an email or a voice message to yeah. anybody who's, who's trying and maybe having a bit of a, a bit of a struggle and did you what did you learn in lockdown when you stopped and were forced to stop what did you learn about yourself I think 
I think I, I, I definitely learned that I've been far too busy for far too long. And actually to just being at home, enjoying the countryside around where I live, exploring the countryside, appreciating what's on my doorstep and realizing that I've been too busy to do that. You know, I moved house about a year ago and had never, would never have had the chance to explore around where I am, which is beautiful without that lockdown. And that's made me appreciate things like my bike, you know, going out on my bike, swimming every day because I can. Um, and so I think for sure, um, definitely doing less and doing less with more quality rather than trying yeah. to. Doing right less better. Yeah, doing less better. Yeah, less yeah. is more. That's what they say. I think so. You know, sometimes when you get to the end of the day and your phone is telling you that you've spent nine hours or whatever oh. on, yeah. on really? I mean, I use my phone for pretty much everything. But when I go for a swim or when I go out on my bike, I never take my phone with me, and it is that complete switch off time that it's it feels like an absolute luxury, and yet it's the most simple thing, isn't it? Fresh air, exercise, and just time to think for yourself when your kids start off in a, a sport or when you start off in a job I mean I started as a volunteer coach at our local club and kids were tiny um I never imagined that that would end up becoming a career for me I just sort of went bit by bit I never imagined that the boys would end up becoming what they became we just went okay what's next okay now I need to do that I need to do that and and then it all kind of happened but nobody prepares you for the parts of your life that that takes away the success you know the the, the times we've been talking about Christmas a lot you know we rarely have a Christmas together because the demands of the tennis circuit are that the boys have to be in another country usually over Christmas because the circuit starts on the 27th of December in Brisbane or Doha or you know so normal family times are, are one of the things that so often has got sacrificed because of the route that they've gone um, and those are the those are the things you think I'd really like to have more of that kind of time. But um, I think if I cut back on what I do, then I create more time for me to be able to go with them a bit more. And then people will start criticizing me again. Why didn't you leave them alone? <laughs> and you're absolutely right. I don't care anymore. <laughs> when did you hit the screw you age? I'm really fascinated. That was probably mid 50s. Really? I think that. Yeah, I think maybe some, maybe 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 early to early fifties, perhaps. I think you definitely get to an age and stage of experience and maturity where you just go, you know what? And I think this is a, a woman thing as well. We spend so much of our lives trying to please other people, trying to be what we think somebody else expects us to be, worrying about what people think of us. And actually, you know, I think when you do, when the light bulb hits you that you don't need everybody to like you. You only need your friends and your family to like you, <laughs> really. We also have to remember, we don't like everyone, so why should everyone like you? <laughs> I think it's, it's, absolutely, it's absolutely that. So, yeah, definitely it comes with, um, definitely it comes with experience and maturity. But, and, and I think also when you see, you know, you're going into your third act and you're thinking, right, this is time for me now to do what I want to do when I want to do it and with whom I want to do it. And um, I rather like that. And I know as well that the great shock in, 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 the, in your past, and, and, and I don't want to bring this incident up um, for any other reason, that it, it, it brought about a great change in the way you thought was um, Dunblane. The day your children were at the school the day that so many, so many children lost their lives. But you have said since that 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 in the aftermath of that, that gave you the courage to strike out and seize opportunities, chase them down in a way that maybe would you have otherwise? Yeah, I mean, I guess you, you never know. Um, but yeah, that was, a, 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 of course, a hugely significant moment in in my life and all of our family's life and everybody who, who lived in the, in the town, of course. Yeah. And not ever would have imagined would happen on your doorstep in a, a a very small town in the middle of in the middle of Scotland but I think it really for me really opened my eyes to the fact that we don't know what's around the corner you know we have no idea what what might happen from day to day and I think 
realizing that you know my kids survived it the town of course everybody needs everything needs to go on life needs to go on and it definitely gave me that kind of carpe diem I suppose moment yeah where I went, Wait, you know why not you know if I want to do this let's do it you know let's make things happen let's not just wait and yeah definitely definitely changed the way that I thought maybe not immediately but certainly in the weeks afterwards and creating opportunities for the kids in the town through the stuff that I did at the tennis club became an even focus for me because it's a safe place for them to be um where they just loads of other children loads of other parents helping out it's a massive community uh, enterprise and great spirit in there and that became a big a big focus for me also quite healing in so many ways to come together and just just to try to percolate some joy in in amongst these young minds that um you, you have no idea at the time how they've impacted uh, that incident has impacted them no you don't and i think i've said many times that I was always very grateful that Jane and Andy were really too young to understand the enormity of what happened. Um, and I think as they got older, you know, especially when there are anniversaries, significant anniversaries, that they have become, especially now Andy has his own children, much more aware of, of that, which they weren't at the time because they were too small. My final question to you, Judy, um, I don't know, I mean, it kind of flies in the face of what we've just discussed, which is about kind of slowing down, doing less, better. Um, but there's, um, there's a brilliant website that I found, and it's called ceoemail.com. And it gives you the email address of CEOs of all the major companies out there. Um, so it kind of like a hot knife through butter enables you to, to take something to the top. And you're a woman that's had to do that many a time. I just wondered... If you had to email maybe one or two CEOs to affect change, who would you email and what would that change be that you were campaigning for? Well, you know, I was I, I did something with Seb Coe the other day and he was talking about, um, you know, he heads up world athletics and he was saying that athletics is pretty much a 50-50 sport. The women can do all the disciplines that the men can do. And what he wants by 2027 is in his manifesto that the workforce in athletics will be 50-50 split. And what's it at the moment, do you know? I think it's about 20. I think it's around oh. 20. Not 100%. Yeah. Um, but not quite, no, nowhere near 50. <laughs> so, you know, in a seven-year period, a plan, you know, if you have an endpoint, you work back from the endpoint, what has to be in place at each of those times. And this is all about attracting women and creating opportunities for them to learn, get involved, be in creating enough key positions for for women on the steps of the ladder, all the way up. And this is, you know, whether that's whether that's coaches, technical officials, physios, fitness trainers, administrators, decision makers, board members. And I loved that because it was male advocacy. It was a plan. It was it had a timeline. And I thought, there you go. There's a sport that recognizes that fifty fifty in terms of competitors probably 50 50 in terms of its fan base and actually our workforce needs to be much more evenly balanced and i i think that um if i could email to whoever is the chief exec of british sport uh that all government <laughs> actually looked at at replicating what he's replicated in athletics that would be a wonderful wonderful achievement well with Martina in one corner, Sue Barker in another, and Billie Jean King, I don't. Th I think you 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 guys are quite formidable, and uh, you've you've got the you've got the best wing women on board to help you to make that that dream a reality. And it's been a real pleasure um, talking to you, Judy. Um, an education and an inspiration. And I know you. I know that you want to do less, better, but don't stop smashing down those walls. 
Thank you so much for joining me for a little something from the Serb. Fascinating stuff, wasn't it? I really hope you're enjoying these weekly visits down to Arcelo, where quite often we'll bring up two or three vintage conversations. But because it's Wimbledon and because it's Judy Murray, we just thought it was a good chance for you to, well, revisit some of her incredible achievements. And if your head's been turned by sporting heroes, we have plenty more for you. Why not dive around at the back catalogue? You'll find cricket legend Phil Tufnell in there, Dame Denise Lewis, and the Olympic world-beating Torvalin Dean. I'll be back Friday with a brand new guest. Until then, have a great week. White Wine Question Time is a Stack production and part of the Acast Creator Network. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Welcome to the Club. 